You're listening to Addicted to Growth. Join us each week as we sit down with sales, marketing, and revenue leaders on the front lines of innovation. New insights, new playbooks, new tech, new lessons. Step forward into growth and development or backwards into safety and security. The choice is yours. Let's get into the show. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Addicted to Growth. And I am super excited to have on Ethan Butte, the chief evangelist from BombBomb. And before we get started, I just want to say one thing that Ethan and I have connected for years now over LinkedIn. And it's like one of those moments when you finally get to have these interviews that I'm so thankful for. So uh, one, just thanking you so much for your friendship, Ethan, and you know, being a, just being an awesome human. And then two, thank you so much for, for having on today with Kevin and I. Yeah, thank you so much. I totally agree. It's one of the fun things. That's why I love the podcast format. It's so good. It's obviously good. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I also get to guest and host on a lot of podcasts. And on both sides of this, I guess on all three of those sides, uh, it's just such a cool format because it gives us a very specific reason to connect and spend time together, like in a legit conversation in a slightly structured, but still loose kind of way in a professional way, but also a personal way. Like I love, I love this. It's one of the greatest joys of the past couple of years of my, my work. I love it. And so let so one of the things that we kind of chatted about, and I feel like we always somehow end up on this topic, um, but being a good human, Right. Like it, it's something that I feel like it's definitely instilled in your DNA. There's definitely a book behind you that's orange that has some human titles in it. Uh, could you talk to us a little bit about like the human side of what we're going through right now? Maybe um, I know like offline, we kind of chatted about this acceleration of people, you know, going through this time of inviting people in their houses, but it's not necessarily on purpose. Right. Like we you're in your bedroom. I'm in my you know, office over here, Kevin. I think you're in your living room office. What is that? I'm in, I'm in my home office, but I, I I didn't have a home office before all this happened. So my my new home office, right? It's looking good. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. You got like the background going over there. The lights look nice. I'm over here like I got a plain wall. Like it, it's completely different. Yeah, but step it up. <laughs> sorry, oh, I just moved. But like, yeah, so could you talk to us a little bit about like the, like being what what it means to be a good human and like how that is going to be crucial for you know sales and marketing leaders going forward? Because I think you touched on something really interesting when we before we got started, and love for you get to get back on that of uh, this fact that like good business is going to come down to being a good human. Yeah, I, I, when that really occurred to me and started to crystallize, I felt like I was maybe oversimplifying. But the more I think about it, and the more we talk about it in, in conversation, it's just so obviously true. So there are a few things we, I won't get on all of these in, in whatever I happen to share here in the next minute or two. But the few pieces are you have the rise at some level of kind of warmer, softer words like empathy, transparency honesty, vulnerability, like these are legit words in popular business culture. And that was not the case a decade ago, let's say. You have the pandemic, which accelerated that move. And then you have 
um, this this idea that customer experience is the ultimate differentiator, right? Because of hyper competition, product parity. If a competitor reach, releases a new feature, it's only you know weeks or maybe a couple months away. Like that, that the difference between doing business with one team or one company or another or one consultant or another is how you make me feel, right? It's the experience that it's, what does it feel like to work with you? What does it feel like to be in partnership with you? How do you make me feel about myself? How do you make me feel about you? How do, we make, how do you make me feel about your product or service? And some of that, so that's where like UI or UX comes into play a little bit, but it's all part of the experience. And the more I talk about the different touch points involved in creating a good experience for customers, which is what I do on my podcast, the more obvious it is that the idea that someone just cares a little bit, and this could be in obviously in a human exchange, right? If I pick up the phone and call your support team, I want someone to feel like I matter and I'm not just an annoyance in their day and I'm slowing them down. It's like, dude, that's your job. Your job is to help me right now and I need it, right? So join my side and help me through it and don't make me feel like a number. Don't make me feel like an imposition on your day or a salesperson. Consult with me. Think about my problems. Be honest with me. Be helpful instead of, you know, running through the demo and trying to one call close me, right? Partner with me. So this is how you make me feel peace. But then on even deeper, can you anticipate my needs or wants or challenges or frustrations, right? And this is, again, where it comes into like product and dev type teams in a software company. Like, you know where when someone moves through a software experience, where they get hung up or where they get slowed down or, you know, where they rage click. You can see that too. You know, there's stuff that tells you where people are rage clicking. And so, you know, move that out of my way. Anticipate my, my needs or my wants or frustrations. So this idea of caring, I actually care. I care enough to be honest with you. I care enough to listen to you. I care enough to show up on time. I, you know, it's just this idea of caring, like being a basically decent human being who is honest, smart, and caring. Those are three characteristics I regard as being a, a healthy, solid, productive human being, honest, smart, and caring. And I, one that I've been challenged on is maybe like perseverance. You know, this idea of resilience or whatever could be an add to that because that doesn't fall into one of those three buckets. But uh, anyway, the, the more I think about it and talk about it and work on it, the more being an awesome person, just being a good person, puts you in position to be a better team member with your teammates, to be a better uh, helper to your customers and potential customers and to be more satisfied in your work. I think that's hundred percent valid. And, and I think I love the honest, smart, caring uh, side of it because one of the things that it, it always blows my mind with is like the amount of people that forget that like, it's okay just to like tell someone to have a nice day or it's okay to just like think about just trying to make somebody smile. Like one thing that I do is I put bitmojis in a lot of my like communications with people. Some people were like, oh my God, a bitmoji. I haven't seen one of those things in a while. But I'm like, I'm trying to find a way to keep the happiness levels at a peak every time people interact with me, right? So if I can always send you a bitmoji when we're communicating and change up the face or the tone or whatever it is, like you're always going to get that personality side when you're emailing me. I don't care if you're a CEO. I don't care if you're an individual contributor. Like you're going to get positivity when you get some for me in your inbox, right? Like that's 
at least how I like to approach it. And if they don't like it, then I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. You didn't like my Bitmoji. But, like, how do you not like a Bitmoji with a little guy with his hat backwards, like, jumping around, smiling, right? Like, you, <laughs> it's just like, if you don't like Bitmojis, then, like, you probably should, you know, go for a walk or something. <laughs> yeah, there are two two really good things there in particular. One of them is this this kind of, like, you know, you get what you give. You obviously, Travis, and just sharing that, you bring joy to your work or you take joy or experience joy on your own side, it's transferable to other people, right? So interacting with you is a, a fun experience. And so there's kind of like give and get peace. And it's the same thing with like, same, same reason I love sending videos of gratitude, like simple personal videos where you just say, hey, thanks so much, or congratulations, or good job, like these, these positive things. It feels good to communicate that way for you. And it also creates this, you know, positive moment on the other side for them. And the, so, the, so that's one is like, you get what you give, and you can choose to come at it as some, you know, buttoned up stiff professional who's here to kill and just, I'm here to kill. I'm killing it kill, kill, kill. Or you could come and be like, Hey, let's do this. You know, I've got, I've got an opportunity for you. I've got value to provide. I've got help. I've got answers to your questions. I can help you through this problem. Like I'm going to approach my work with a, with a sense of joy. And by the way, the outcome of that is that you're going to kill, right? You don't yeah. have to go in with that as the intention. That's the outcome. The other layer here is this idea of like, Hey, this is who I am. And I think that's deep, deep to kind of this movement that we that we touched off on is this idea that it is okay to be yourself now it's more okay than ever and again five ten years ago if you were a software executive or you know a business executive or a revenue executive like there were some trappings to that there was this kind of like acting as if component to it you had to dress a certain way and talk a certain way and whatever and if you were an outsider to that and it was unnatural to you you'd still suit up you know, in your man armor or your woman armor and, and, and go out at it and act as if. And now I, I really do think that this movement was already happening, but COVID accelerated as we're welcomed into people's homes and bedrooms and home offices and stuff with dogs and kids and stuff is, is like um, we are more free to be ourselves than before. And it's more acceptable. It's more normal it's more satisfying for you. I don't have to like, I don't have to waste any time or energy or money or anything trying to be something I'm not. And, and I can, I can succeed on who I am. And so this holism of bringing myself to my work and my work is part of myself. And like, you know, these, these lines that we talk about work-life balance, et cetera, you don't have to like totally suit on suit off, um, to get in and out of work mode, you can just be yourself. So if you are Bitmoji, dude, you get to be yourself. It's cool. Yeah, it's interesting. So one of one of my sales reps, he huge diehard Yankees fan, and the entire back wall is is it's shelves of all sorts of memorabilia, pictures, signatures, bobbleheads, coffee mugs, everything, and it's actually really nice because whenever he's on sales calls, the first thing is like. Oh, you're a Yankees fan. Now we don't really let him call on Boston accounts that often, but he's, you know, he, it, it's, it's really nice because then, you know, like people just start to get to see who he is as a person and what he's excited about and what he's passionate about. And then, you know, it just, it kind of lay, like lowers the guard a little bit and it starts to, it starts to make that conversational a lot more like just like the business side of the conversation, a lot more authentic and it's a lot more curious and it's a lot more, 
benevolent, I guess, you know, and I think more and more people are looking for that type of experience because you're still getting a lot of those kill, kill, kill salespeople out there. And like, it just doesn't feel good. You know, and I think the, I think the latter is, is a lot more fun to embrace you, your personality, your quirks, and, and, and allow that to portray into to the experience you provide. But it's still, it's still really hard for people. So Ethan, what type of, maybe it's a self-reflection exercise, like what type of advice or, or coaching would you give somebody who's trying to be more comfortable being themselves, them, them, their personal selves in this business environment that we're in? Yeah, I think uh, you. It is intentional. I think the most important thing is to stay aware. You know, so so anything that's happening. So, I'll give you a completely different example to kind of walk into it. So, I got a standing desk probably six years ago, and uh, I wasn't very intentional about it. I was just like, it seems like it's better to stand because I do a ton of videos. I've sent like ten thousand videos, ten or fifteen thousand. What? 10,500 or so, like over 10,000. And I find that like I have more energy when I stand. I can use my hands a little bit more. Like I just, you know, use my, so I like a standing desk. But what ended up happening is like my lower back after about a year or so, my lower back was like kind of very sore, very consistently. And that was new for me. And at first you're like, maybe it's just because I'm getting older. Then I'm like, nah, that's garbage. It's like, (laughs) you know, you start to realize it's a little bit of your posture. And so what would happen is, um, Anytime I caught myself kind of like slouching or leaning or getting like lazy, I would just kind of like re-square. Like I would start with my feet, go to my knees, and let's just kind of like square back up. So anytime I became a little bit aware that I was being a little bit lazy or habitual, um, I would just kind of square back up. It's just like a quick reset. And you, some people do the same thing like with their breath in certain situations or, or whatever, like just this reset. So what I would challenge you is to say, anytime you feel like you're doing something unnatural to you, um, that is not necessarily healthy growth. Like some people hate getting on the phone, right? And so they're like, somehow there's a BDR in a seat that doesn't like picking up the phone. It's like, <laughs> okay, you got to work through that. So, I'm, like, yeah. so let's set those things off on the side. But anytime you find yourself in this, like, I'm doing something that's not honest to me, like you can feel that inside. You don't necessarily, doesn't, doesn't always reach conscious thought, but anytime it does, um, acknowledge it. And when you do, you'll start to acknowledge it more often and do something a little bit more honest in that moment. Be a little bit more honest with yourself. That's the key. And then, and then that allows you, it gives you permission to be honest with other people and, or it just straight comes through to other people. And so, you know, when you catch yourself holding things back that are like, you know, a a little personal joke about the moment that is, it's appropriate. It's not an inappropriate joke. It's like, it's appropriate for the moment, but you hold it back because you feel like I'm in a business setting. I'm not allowed to, you know, make a little joke or, you know, I took this thing off the shelf because I don't want to offend the Boston Red Sox fan, even though this is the most precious physical possession <laughs> I own, right? Like yeah. those, those, those types of things. I think it's just being aware and giving yourself permission. And when you do, um, you'll start to find more opportunities for it and you'll start to be more satisfied in it too, I think. Because again, it takes time and energy to and you're kind of like burning it. Like we have limited amount of time and energy every single day. And so people find ways to sustain their energy or they find ways to be more efficient with their time. One thing I would challenge you on in terms of time and energy is to find time and energy that's kind of misspent on acting as if 
is what I call it. You know, any of this kind of like, I need to spend time adjusting myself, adjusting my language, adjusting my, not that you want to F-bomb the heck out of like a, a prospect that you don't know very well, but like, you know, some, again, some adjustments are appropriate, but, you know, find these places where you, where you catch yourself feeling like you are in a different place than where you really want to be. I would also say, just to empathize, obviously, um, this summer with all of the uh, the racial tension that came up, the the protests uh, against all of you know a, another murder, um, you know, obviously a lot of I heard you on some podcasts, Travis. I heard some other people on podcasts. It, it was so, this became very, very acute to me that like I've dealt with it in moments, but when I think about women in a room or a woman in a room and she's the only woman there, or I think about a black man or a black woman and she is the only black woman or black person in this meeting of 15 people, this, this other, you know, this kind of generically speaking, this otherness we all experience it. Some people feel it much more acutely. Some people have developed coping methods or adjustment methods. And some people by force of culture and society wind up having to spend a lot more time and energy adjusting. And so um, I guess I'll just walk back out of all that kind of privileged situation that I'm in um, as a white male and say, the adjustments I've had to make to get comfortable being myself um, are minimal, but everyone can make this effort and I think you'll find yourself more satisfied in your work. So I love that you brought that up because one of the toughest things I think for many people listening is the sense that they've for better, for worse, you know, for good or for bad in their words, in their worlds, uh, they've had to spend time with themselves and this is something that I've had a bunch of friends and colleagues kind of share with me, but it's like this idea that, you know, people historically have been afraid to spend time with themselves and, and with their ideas. And especially like to your point, like right now, there's so many things that are happening to where it's hard for like, literally, it's almost impossible for me to try to like be, uh, they call it code switching, right? Like mm -hmm. it's hard for me to try to bring this, you know, alternative persona to like podcasting or to business meetings or to a client call and then come back and then turn back into myself when I go do my work. Or then I have someone text me about something they're going through and I have to hop into that, right? Like it, it is literally exhausting to not have to think about, oh man, I'm in a, a meeting right now. I'm in this environment. There's like an exec here. I got a, you know, deep V-neck on and a, a Nike hat. This Bro, this is what you're getting. Like, it, I'm sorry, but like, it, it, if you haven't listened to any of my work, if you've never sat in a conversation with me, then you have no room to judge who's on the other side of who's giving you information. Like, nobody has room to do that. And that's a piece that like I've stepped into more recently just because of like everything that we've gone through. But like trying to, I even said this to Kevin, I was like, man, like what podcast am I on that I haven't had like a, a background? It's just what I, it's how I it's you. live. Yeah. It, so, it's interesting. I, I think too, though, Travis, like I know we've had this conversation and, and 
Ethan, I, I think you started touching on this a bit before, but I, I bet you're just so much more content and happier than most people out there. And then I think that comes through, right? When, when you're talking to, you know, whether it's we're doing the podcast, you're talking about your business, whatever the case is, I think that comes through. Like, I think your, your customers, your prospects, your anybody's, like their partners, they hear that, they feel that. And I think, you know, for a long time, you know, like I, I came up in the, the, the inside sales game of you wore a suit to work every single day. You're on the phones, like you don't see anybody, right? And it was this whole like, you know, like the act as if, you know, and this persona and the, and like, I remember just thinking how exhausting that was and how like it, that just, it wasn't, it wasn't me. Um, and so I think once you are able to just feel a lot more comfortable with like, hey, what you see is what you get. And again, as long as you're not offended, offensive, breaking laws and cursing, like do you, be you. And I think over the long period of time, you're going to, if you can really embrace that, which is I think very difficult for some, but if you can really embrace that and lean into it, you're just going to be happier. And I think people are going to see that and hear that. Yeah. And I guess just one more quick thing to add, and this is more so for the people who don't know how to bring themselves to work. Cause this is the thing. And I'm going to at least speak for black people. There are certain things and moments in culture where you'd want to just be able to just bring your full self to work. Right. But I have friends and I know that if, you know, Brubra can't bring his full self to work. Like it's just, it ain't gonna work. <laughs> and so <laughs> when, when I, but like, it's true. Like, it's just like, he's not, and like, this is again, something that I also talked about from a sales leadership perspective, which uh, comes on the topic of training people who historically don't speak in a certain way to do sales, right? So for example, if you get a cold call from someone who sounds Indian, what is your first, like, you, what is your first response that you're thinking as you pick up that phone call, right? Like, just think about everybody listening. Like, when you hear an Indian voice, what is your first response if you heard that on a sales call? I'll answer for everybody. Where are they calling from? Yep. Yeah. Right. Outsourced, outsourced SDR. 100%. And so when you hear that, like, no, no offense to them, right? Like they, he might be the best sales rep on the whole team, but like to his, you know, detriment, like, it's like, oh, wait, he's definitely an outsourced salesperson. And it's like, well, he can't help the voice he was born into and then he wants to go into sales. Right. And like the same thing when, when people come in and they try to, to sell or get, you know, a job in tech or something like that from the African-American community, and like they're not typically used to speaking to people in public or having to represent a brand when they speak right so like they're going there's gonna be some shit that comes out that's like oh oh dude, yeah yeah nah bro you can't say that here like you like these are like actual things that happen <laughs> right like, and so yeah. that's this balance of being yourself and the situate like what is an appropriate experience here you know but the thing is, is that the, this, this, this is like a piece of the challenge to like unlock. Yeah, totally. They don't know what appropriate is. The people right. come into the world, right? So it's like, how do you teach the on-ramp of a business etiquette? And that's like, the thing is, I say that, I, I learned business etiquette when I was like, I don't know, a kid. Because I was somebody who was told that they talked white. 
I think we can we might have talked about this. Maybe not. We did. Yeah, no, we've talked about this before. I talk white. I'm I'm putting that out there to the world, right? According to the world, right? And all the white people in my world when I grew up, I spoke white. So I got it's like I, I had an advantage because I always talk like this. So like I never had to go through the coaching of like Yo, bro, like you can't open up a discovery call the same way you talk to your homies playing zombies after football practice. Like you just can't do it, right? But I knew that like years ago. Whereas now there's this conversation of, well, how do you open up the talent pool to bring in better talent, to create more better humans and like, you know, truly bring in underrepresented people. And it's like, did y'all think about a lot of these things? Like if you're trying to get someone who historically has not spoken to people in a specific way to talk and act like a SaaS salesperson, that's not easy. So this is another barrier that, again, I'm like, does anybody have any sort of a cultural linguistic training that they like teach their sales reps that have not been selling to other people on the phone? Like, no. no idea. I would guess I would guess that most people would probably in the interview process say in that scenario, if that was the position, they'd probably say, Yeah, that's too much of a project. I'm not taking that on. 100%. I'm not and and so you so you wind up perpetuating it. My hope here is that um it generally, I'm speaking very, very, very generically here. My general impression in looking at research from a variety of perspectives is that younger generations, even even uh, below millennial, uh, I guess what is that? We call those Z. Um, and Z you know, years, the, so. the young, like so, so millennials are obviously fully in the workforce, fully in the workforce. They're buying homes, they're having kids, etc. Like there's some, I don't know what the oldest one is today, but you know, Z in particular and younger, I, I feel like the suggestion is that they are much more open from a cultural standpoint. They're more open to diversity. They're more open to, they care more about the values of organizations and brands um, and that there will be more, a broader acceptance and less judgment going forward. And so we're in this kind of like in between where a bunch of decision makers still care about, um, you know, regional dialect whether that's from a region that's on another side of the planet or whether it's from a region that I'm not familiar with because I grew up in a small town in the Midwest instead of, you know, in the heart of the city, right? Coastal or whatever. So I think there's, I, I hope and expect that there's going to be a, a, a that, that, that will get movement on both sides, right? So when you think about like your phone or you think about video game consoles or whatever, like hardware is always pushing software, software is always pushing hardware, right? The better the hardware is, the more we can do in the software. And, and as we're developing software and let's say video games or whatever, and we wanna be able to have like sicker graphics or do more things or have it be more fluid or whatever, you know, we're, you know it's, it's pushing the hardware manufacturers to be able to keep up, to be able to support, you know? So this is give and take. And so, so my hope is that there's a, a similar kind of give and take on, um, we're going to become more accepting of meeting people where they are, and we're going to do a better job of getting people who aren't to, to code or to speed or to, you know, 
that are still a little bit too rough, no matter where we want to put our judgments that that we have ways. Cause you asked a really good question is like, where, where's the training for this? Like, I don't think it exists, but maybe there is like the rough edge polish and we start to identify other qualities and characteristics of people and are, are more patient in polishing that edge um, because so many other great qualities are there. And we know that diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of viewpoint, diversity of opinion makes our team stronger uh, in general, which I've heard many times from a variety of leaders. Yeah, it, it's a really interesting point you, you, you bring up and working, you know, for me, me personally, working for, for a data company, we, we run tons of research around um, people's sentiments and feelings towards around diversity and inclusion. And, it's actually, you, you hit the nail on the head because when you start to, to, like, to take a look at individuals that are age 16 to 24, when it comes to diversity and, and inclusion, and when it comes to making decisions around brands they want to associate themselves with buying decisions, and you're seeing more and more millennials become part of the decision-making or, or buying committee, um, ages 16 to 24 lead the pack with that being important to them when it comes to choosing a brand or associating themselves with a brand. Um, wait, and so I think, wait, no, you, can you repeat that? 16, so, he's saying 16 to 24 is way ahead. Millennials are not 16 to 24. Millennials are a bit older, but millennials share some of those. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry to have taken that one. Um, no, you're right. Though, you're right. Though. Millennials share a lot of those qualities, although the peak is 16 to 24. But millennials, because they are in the workforce, they're entering these buying decisions and can now start to make some change inside. Correct. Exactly. And so 16 to 24, it leads the, leads the way. Um, 25 to 34 is a hair, like a very, very small um, decrease. But then you see a big drop off when you get to, you know, 35 to, um, to 45. And then obviously it continues to sort of decline. Um, but I think it's going to be an interesting component because, you know, even too, we've seen, you know, certain, you know, diversity inclusion components start to make their way into RFP processes as well, right? Like I, it, it's becoming, it, it's becoming broader and it's becoming more important to more organizations, but I, because I think those types of generations are now the leaders, they're leading the way, they're, they're much, you know, a much bigger part of the strategy. So these are all, and I think the whole idea around, you know, the, kind of like the polish around different training opportunities, these are going to pop up more and more in organizations because of how important this is for these generations. So it's a really, it's a really interesting point you bring up. Uh, this, so, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off with that, but that's, that was fire. Why you, before when Ethan like kind of propped that up in my head, I'm like, what piece of data is Kevin going <laughs> to find? That is literally <laughs> what I was thinking. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's, it's really interesting stuff. And so, um, yeah, you know, another another sort of shift that we're seeing too, and I think this this tends to be because of the, the composition of the workforce today as well, but is this whole concept around uh, evangelists, right? This is a, a new type of a title. It's, it's a new function. Um, talk to us a little bit about that, Ethan, some of the trends that you're seeing or even some of the things that you think have brought this on um, as like a new role and opportunity in business. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I... Um... I was interested in it. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Sangram Vajray from Terminus, but I had been listening yeah. to his Flip My Funnel podcast and he had hit like episode 300. So I reached out to him and I was like, hey man, and I had done this with a couple of people that I knew better than I knew him. I knew him a little bit, um, but I reached out to him. I was like, hey man, you know, 
I think your title's super interesting. He also qualifies. He calls himself an accidental evangelist. So he has like a little bit of fun with it. And um, I was like, I think people want to know what your title's about. I think you've, you know, at 300 episodes, you've built a community, you've built a following. And I want to flip the mic on you where I interview you on your own show about what it means to be an evangelist. Because I think it's interesting myself as I've heard, you know, 40 episodes of your show, let's say. And uh, he was like, I'll do you one better. You find three other evangelists and I will do that interview and I'll run it as a four-part series. And so this is right when he went to daily and he was, you know, he, he had already had this concept of I'm going to do like guest turns. And so um, I just happened to, the timing was just fantastic on a couple levels here. So I was like, okay, what other evangelists do I know? Well, I knew Dan Steinman from Gainsight. Um, they wrote, he literally wrote the book on customer success and Gainsight yep. certainly pioneered customer success as a concept over the years. And he was key to that. And I knew him uh, through a mutual friend and uh, I cold reached out to this guy named Dave Izbitsky from Amazon. He was the first employee in voice at Amazon. Uh, so he's the chief evangelist of Alexa and Echo. I just straight cold messaged him on LinkedIn, of course, with a video he's and an he, um, and he responded right away, happy to do it. And that's, I mean, that's what an evangelist does. Yes. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know Flip My Funnel probably, even though it was a pretty big show at the time and much bigger now. Yeah. And then this is my favorite one. I cold emailed, video emailed uh, Guy Kawasaki. And I sent an oh. email to is like guykawasaki at gmail.com. I found it on like, on like one of his websites. He has multiple websites. Some of them are probably just like, you know, remnants of a, you know, like these websites that aren't even maintained. But I found Guy Kawasaki at Gmail. And so I didn't, like, I didn't know where that was going to go, but I was like, that's the guy I want. Because he was the first chief evangelist, arguably, at Apple. Um, Steve Jobs, he, he had a sales job left and Steve Jobs hired him back as chief evangelist. And now he's chief evangelist at uh, Canva, the graphics company. And um, I probably just kind of butchered and oversimplified what Canva does, but we all know them as the graphics company. We all, we got. <laughs> right. So, 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 so the funny thing about that was I could see it got opened. It would get opened. It would get opened. It'd get opened. Video. So it got ultimately got opened about 30 or 35 times and the video got played about 12 or 15 times. So I was like, I don't know when something's going to happen, but over the past week, people are on this message that I sent. And so eventually someone from Penguin Random House reached out. It, fortunately for me, again, in like a nice timing element in the story is that uh, he was releasing a memoir. Uh, it was called Wise Guy. It was like a reflection on his life and his career. And so they sent me an advanced copy. I read it. And Sangram, when I told Sangram that I got him for this mini series, he was like, Can I do that interview? I'm like, Dude, it's your show. Of course, you can do this interview with me. So, <laughs> so Sangram, and I, Sangram and I did that interview together. And so, so it, was, it was awesome. It was like so interesting and fun to learn from these people. So, a few things about evangelism. One, and this is number one evangelism is necessary as a function within an organization, whether or not you have one person assigned to the job or not, it's, it's critical to the organization if you are actually innovating because you're evangelizing the problem not the product, right? So when I'm out here guesting on podcasts and, and doing other things, I'm not saying uh, bomb bomb, use the mobile app, bomb bomb, use it directly in your Gmail inbox because we've got a little record icon in every compose and reply window in Gmail. Um, you know, I, I'm not doing that. I'm saying, hey, do you know that every day some of your most important and valuable messages are being 
typed, like you're intellectually thinking about them, typing them into a keyboard and sending them off in a way that doesn't differentiate you, doesn't build trust and rapport, and doesn't communicate nearly as well as when you look someone in the eye and communicate with them face to face. Did you know? You could easily record videos just like you're doing Zoom calls. You can record videos and send them to people. Like I'm talking about the problem and the opportunity that you have to be more personal and human every day. And of course, in a conversation like this, we kind of even go beyond those bounds, which is just absolutely a joy. I love this conversation. And thank you again for, for hosting me. I, this is fun. Um, so it's, it's this problem over product. It's this idea that if you are innovating, you either have a solution to a problem that didn't have a solution before or you have a better solution to a problem that people have been solving kind of kind of okay in the past, then you need to evangelize around this. And so some other specific to the chief evangelist role are things like there certainly are no best practices. There are no established norms. There are no KPIs or metrics. There are no activity metrics. So you have to kind of manufacture them. And so in these four interviews, there were different ways people went about it. Um, it helps if you're in early. Again, Dave Izbitsky was the first employee in voice at Amazon. Uh, Guy Kawasaki was very very early in Apple. Dan Steinman was one of part of the original crew at, um, at Gainsight. I don't know. I don't think he has a co-founder title, but uh, Sangram Vajray does. They mm -hmm. all came from different backgrounds. Sangram studied computer science, became a marketer, worked at Pardot, got bought by Salesforce. And so he comes up on the marketing side. Dan Steinman obviously came up in, in customer success, built that organization, the CS organization, and uh, from scratch, got it to a point where he was like, um, went to went to the CEO and was like, hey, man, I, I think I need to leave Gainsight because I'm not really an operations guy. I built this thing. It's kind of like bigger than what I want to do. This isn't kind of who I am and what I'm about. And he said, I can't let you go because I know when I put you in front of people, we generate revenue. And so that, that was when he became an evangelist was like, so he just goes and evangelizes this idea of expansion and retention are where it's at. In the, because everything's going subscription, you can't afford to let people go. If you want to build a legit, like the whole premise of subscription is that the revenue stacks. Recurring, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, and so that's you know how do we how do we operationalize this? How do we change from customer service to customer success? How do we evolve to meet this new? So anyway. There are a number of criteria that I learned from these people, and so in leaving the function of bomb bomb kind of day to day for two or three months to write rehumanize your business uh, with my friend and teammate Steve Passanelli. I knew that when I came back to the team kind of in full, I spent about 75 to 80% of my time writing um, for this window. I knew that when I came back, I would have an opportunity to do some different things because anything I had left unattended um, was either picked up because it mattered or left because it didn't matter. And so, uh, so, so this was happening around that same time. And so Steve was like, dude, you're, you are chief evangelist. Cause I wrote a blog post about, it. he's like, you fit a bunch of these criteria. We are definitely innovating. We definitely have a problem that we're solving for people. Most people don't know they have this problem. You go do that. And so that's kind of how I landed in this thing. And it, it looks a lot like what I'm doing right now, which is just, you know, connecting with people, sharing this opportunity. Sometimes we're talking about it directly. Sometimes we're not. And it is a, it's an absolute joy and privilege. Well, I'll, I'll tell you that the, the problem you're solving at BombBomb Bomb is real because I know there's been so many times I'll text my wife something thinking I'm being really nice and there's in context is taken out of it. 
right? So now it's yep. now it's now it's video message or audio message. So there's the context that you can pick up on. So um, it's real. <laughs> totally. <laughs> but, I mean yeah. that this, that misunderstood, like being misunderstood, or yeah. worse, that like that long back and forth to try to get to clarity, or you punch in that emoji in order to um, make it clear that you're joking, but it still reads as passive aggressive to the other person. Like yeah. You know, like I put explanation. Yeah. Like if, if, if I want people to think I'm joking, happy, positive, it's like explanation point. Maybe you picked up on that. I hope. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah the insert emoji here type stuff, but it, it sounds like it's also, which I know Travis is going to love this, but it sounds like it's also about building community. Right. Like it I is. Think okay. So, so there's, <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, I, I've been saying like, so I, I, I'm super interested in sustainability and they talk about like the three-legged stool, um, essentially people, planet, profit from a, from a sustainability business standpoint. I think of a three-legged stool in this situation as um, evangelism, community, and category. And so typically, if you are truly pioneering and you are innovating, there's some category to be defined and created. Community is fundamental to that, and evangelism is also fundamental to that. So they all kind of go hand in hand with each other as a three-legged stool to prop the thing up. And um, so I love that you went to community. I love that too, no pun intended, but also... I do think it's interesting about um, just kind of like the way that you positioned, you know, the problem and solution. And also speaking as someone that's recently, and again, there are things that I know that I'm good at, right? Like everyone has their, they know their strengths and they do the strength finder things. But one of the things that I know a lot of people struggle at is when they're trying to hone in on this problem Right. And so a lot of people listening, either a couple of different reasons, right? Whether you're an early stage startup, you're still trying to find product market fit. And then to like have an evangelist, you know, talking about the problem that you're solving out in the in like the streets, for lack of better words, like sharing and evangelizing, like that's the dream world. But a lot of times nobody really can pinpoint the actual problems they solve. Right. And so I guess like, what could you say? Like, how did you, like, what, did you guys get to that point of like, all right, bomb, bomb, we know the problem we solve. And so like, now we can then have an evangelizer go out and like, try to. Great, or great like question. First? Yep. So, I mean, I, the company was legally founded in 06. Go to market started around 2011. So we've been at this for almost a decade proper in the market. Like when I joined the company, we had fewer than 200 customers. Now we've got more than 55,000. And you know, tons of free trials and cancellations and things in between there. So we have been in contact with hundreds of thousands of people over the years. And so this is a long, slow build. I mean, a lot of tech companies like Amazon or Microsoft has a bunch of evangelists. They, each one of them probably has one, two, three dozen evangelists in various capacities. Some of them chief, most of them not. So this isn't just something that you prop up right away, but one of the things from, so first, before I go any farther, I have to triple down on what you said there. You have to be very, very clear about what problem you solve for people. This also is wrapped in who is your actual best customer? Because, you know, when you think about BombBomb, anyone working in a professional capacity can benefit from what we provide. And we have all kinds of customers 
in our database. That said, we don't go to market as something for everybody. That's a failing effort. You have to be very clear about the types of people you can serve the best and specifically what problems you solve for them. And the ability to, we're still, we're working on it right now to re-articulate in a concise fashion the problem that we solve. We're aware, I, can, I could monologue for 10 minutes about the nature of the problems that we solved. And Kevin, you just introduced another one, which was this kind of misunderstanding piece. We could also get into like bots and spam and trust. Like it looks like it's for me, but it's not for me. And like the, all, all the misrepresentation, et cetera. There's, so... You have to get clear on the problem that you solve. You have to be in contact with your customers. You cannot leave it to your customer-facing employees to be the ones talking to customers. You need to understand who they are, how they found you, what they're doing, what problem you they think you solve for them because it might not be what you think. It might change over time, et cetera. And so another thing I'll add is, it is certainly a privilege to be a chief evangelist and for an organization to be in a situation to assign someone to the role. But something that Dan Steinman shared with me in our conversation is you may not have one person with the title and that's fine, but you do need to be intentional about who's evangelizing. So when we thought about our own situation, it was, well, Steve and I are out all the time. One of our team members, Alicia, is out doing webinars and stage presentations. That has some earmarkings of evangelism. Um, so a bunch of different people were doing aspects of the role uh, prior to. And so if, you, if you're listening to this and you think, gosh, you know, we can't afford to put one of our early team members, you know, like I was, I think, employee six or something, um, we can't afford to put someone like that in this position full time and have them come out of you know their day-to-day -day function. That's cool. You just need to be intentional about making sure that you're getting in front of new audiences, that you're leveraging relationships, that you're building new relationships, that you are starting to build community and do some of these things with intention, even if that burden and responsibility and opportunity and joy is shared across multiple people. Oh, I, I love that. And I actually have some friends over at um, Microsoft. And I, I, I was like, shout out to Dave when I was uh, back at Meetup. Like he was a guy that he was really active in the community. And like, he was just one of those. When I, I came across his profile, I was like a chief evangelist at Amazon. What the do you do? And that's like the first thing that came in my head, right? But like, as you kind of start to kind of peel back and realize that like, it literally, it, again, in my eyes, the simple word for an evangelist is I just, I'm like, it's a hype man or a hype woman, a hype person. Like the same way that Diddy gets people fired up when he would go out and performances and like pump up and be the super duper hype man. Uh, it's like the same thing, but like you're doing it for a problem that many people have. And so by you talking about the problem, you're still raising awareness about the whole issue. And so until awareness reaches this kind of like tipping point it's not gonna it's gonna be you know an uphill climb to get there right but if you somehow raise people's awareness about the power of video like yes you're still doing some of the work for your competitors but at the same time that's the whole reason why you have a unique point of differentiation and you're trying to create a positive and great experience for your customers and it's not a feature war and you're not just trying to like one up your, you know, other competitors out there. It's like, no, like we're trying to make, and this is something I talk about in community. And I'm trying, like one thing that I've been trying to do is, is over the last like two years, for example, 
like when I first started sharing podcasts and in this world, there weren't many community focused podcasts. Like they're just, we're not right. And it was one of the like great things about starting a podcast in a world that nobody really knew too much about. And then now you look and there's so many more and I love it. Right. Like you've got David Spinks with his customer podcast. You got Kevin Wynn and Bailey Richardson with the get together. Uh, I've also met a few other people that have now started podcasting, but it's like this sense that, like people can now like kind of start to to see that like hey like we need other people talking about these problems because I can't just tell people how important community building is right and it, and I wish and my hopes when I talk about building communities and that people realize me as the community guy that people realize that like there's a lot of power and benefits into having a diverse group of people come together to do something whether that's watch a netflix tv show together and i don't care if anyone's like you know but no if y'all want to sit there and watch you know a netflix tv show together virtually or to get whatever like go do that if that's how you decompress right or if you want to go for a hike with your dogs like go do that um but like when you have multiple people propping up a problem that more people need to know about my job becomes easier so then was everybody knows that community building is actually a thing that internal teams need to be thinking about, right? Like, how do you become a better community builder as a leader, as an executive, right? What does that mean to bring people together meaningfully within your organization? But then also, what does it mean to bring people together externally, like your customers, your partners, your potential future customers, your potential future employees, right? Like your competitors, your competitors. How do you interact with people you're trying to win business against? Are you friends? Are you enemies? Right. And so like, I feel like I just got on the high horse. I got to come back down. Um, but like when you realize that like by everybody talking about the problem, right? Like communities, we need more of them and they need deeper ties period end of story right now if i have a hundred other people saying that when i go in and tell you know mr ceo of SaaS company that like yeah your people aren't together bro like you your people aren't on the same page you think you're doing a good job talking about you know diversity equity inclusion you literally had a pr statement and like that's what your answer was like nah we you need to go talk to so-and-so so-and-so and so-and-so to learn how to bring your people together like that's just what you need right now because y'all ain't doing it right so for me to come in right already and, and we'll, we'll talk about this on another episode but this is this is an idea that I, I think will definitely hit home but like the amount of things that uh i as an african-american have to do before i even start selling is a whole different conversation that many of your both reps that aren't african-american probably have never thought about right and so it's like have any of your reps ever thought about, um, you know, removing their face from the email signature? Like, have they ever thought about that? Because of like, if they slide in black to a DM, right? Like, are they afraid they're going to be misinterpreted? Because many people don't typically get these sort of emails from black people like that. That's like a thought, right? But so ending the rant, uh, if you have a lot of people that are evangelizing a problem, it makes everybody's job easier. End of story. Agree, Trav. I think you. I think you nailed it, bud. <laughs> I, yeah, I got my feels for a minute because I was like, "Oh, community, oh, connections, oh." And <laughs> I don't do that often, so I pre-apologize for going. On. I was good. I was good. I love it. Um, so what, I guess as we're kind of wrapping up, like I'm, 
you got me just thinking about a lot of stuff and you brought out a lot of things. So Ethan, I just want to thank you um, for that. Cause this conversation has been, you know, I feel like I get like with conversations like these, I literally feel like I get lost in the podcast. And so like, I don't know, I, I have no idea what's outside of like these three little windows. And um, one of the things that I'd love to kind of close with is, is like, what are a couple of things that people listening, whether they're, uh, you know, executive leader, um, whether they're, you know, a manager, like what are some things that people can do to either reconnect with themselves to be more human or just like be more human in general? Yeah, I'll share a, a couple. The first two, two come to mind. One of them is related to the problem we solve. So forewarning. I'll start with one that has been so valuable for me. I think um, a lot of people don't I, I'm already geared this way, so it's something that I that I did a lot anyway. Like I love spending time alone. Um, I walk, run, and hike by myself a lot. It is where I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I also take care to spend half of my time. If I like, if I go out for like a three-hour hike, I'll start by listening to a podcast or two, depending. You know, some of them I listen to are twenty minutes, some of them are an hour and a half. So it depends on the length. So you know always half of my time is nothing in my ears. It's just me and my thoughts. Sometimes I try to focus those thoughts and like start thinking about something in particular, a, a situation, an opportunity, a problem, something I just read or something I just heard. But even more, it's just, I just like let it go. And, and there's just something about um, being by yourself, allowing your thoughts to happen uh, I think that's where a lot of creativity comes from. I think a lot, I think in general, you know, when you look around LinkedIn and you get like these humble brag posts about how many books people read um, or, you know, how many podcasts they listen to and these kinds of things, it's like input is super good. It is good. Again, this is where you get diversity of thought, diversity of opinion, unique stories, unique circumstances, but creativity comes when you unplug from input and just allow the ideas that you already have your own background ideas the new ideas you're collecting where where dis, seemingly disparate ideas collide is kind of the point of creativity it's a catalyst for a new blog post it's a catalyst for uh, a slack message to your team to get them thinking about this thing you've all been banging your heads on but now you've got like this kind of new insight that might change the way we're approaching the problem or even the definition of the problem so um, i would just encourage people to and i'm just kind of doubling back on your observation of um you know, so the, the reflection was kind of a theme very early in this conversation here. Yep. That, that So turn it off. Like if you're driving somewhere, you don't need music on, you don't need podcasts on all of the time. Some of the time, sure, totally. But give yourself some space for things to happen. Um, and you can force it by through conscious thought or you can just kind of let it happen. And, and I think you'll become, um, it, that quietude is very, very valuable. Um, and a lot of valuable things happen. And, and if you're like kind of on the fence about this, it's already happening to you sometimes like in the shower or driving or even brushing your teeth or some of these things that we do over and over and over again that don't require a lot. Like I don't think twice about how to turn the shower on and get in and wash my hair and shave my face. And like I do it every day. So I don't have to think about it. And so my mind is more free. And so I generally get ideas there. Same thing, brushing my teeth or driving the car or whatever like this. When, you're, um, when your brain is more free, lots of really good things happen. So create more of those situations for yourself. The other thing I'll say is, um, and I will say, 
getting on a Zoom call is awesome, but you all have to coordinate it. We had a goofy situation yesterday. We had to reschedule for today. We thought we might reschedule again yesterday and blah, blah, blah. We had to be here at the same time. But, and it's super powerful. It's the best thing we can do. It's the next best thing to being there in person. But do not miss the opportunity to use these short, casual, conversational, unscripted video messages to reach out to your team members. Um, to record videos and drop them into LinkedIn messages or drop them into Slack messages or send them through email. Reaching out to a customer to congratulate them on a milestone or to follow up after a meeting or to check in and see how they're doing or to congratulate them on something that you saw on social media. Same thing with your team members. I just sent a video at the end of the day yesterday. Like I, I just kind of write these things down. And um, I was in a meeting earlier this week. We have a new AE. She closed her first deal this week. And so I just, you know, when I heard it in that meeting, I wrote it down. That was on a Tuesday. So I was like, I was looking at my to-do list or kind of like this list of things that I want to do sometime in the next 48 hours or so. So as I was getting to the end of the day yesterday, I was like, I could do this or I could like cross off four of these kind of personal messages I wanted to send. So I have to go to the personal message route and like just send her a, hey, your name came up in a meeting. Congratulations. So proud of you. So glad you're here. Um, and it's the first of many, you know, have an awesome day. And I just got the nicest video back from her. So like these, so that's like these little things where I took 32 seconds at the end of my day. I took five seconds when I was in a meeting to make a note about it. You're seeing these things happen on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you're spending your time, you have a ton of timely and relevant reasons to reach out to people in your, in your company, in your organization, in your customer base or in your personal network and acting on those things in, a, in an honest human way where you actually get to breathe these words into life. Again, you get to get out of your own conscious head and like feel them, like literally breathe these messages of sincerity, appreciation, gratitude, interest, concern, uh, inspiration. You get to like live them, but like, and I know this sounds a little bit woo-woo, but this idea of actually saying these things out loud with your own breath and with more of you than just your own brain um, is deeply satisfying. It's like, it's, it has truly transformed my life over the past eight to nine years to make a habit of sending videos for a variety of purposes. I don't know if you can tell, but I, I just had a major aha moment right there with, with what you said. So, so Oh, you to, did. To, I peeped. I peeped. Yeah, I know you saw it, Travis. But one, and and this is actually something that I've, I've been speaking to Travis about, which is like, it, it's you're right. I I I'm trying to be more intentional with that quiet time, and and to be more intentional with, you know, with everything, but less of the intake of of ideas, podcast reading, everything, and, and more of just like be be alone with your thoughts and and work through opportunities challenges etc so that's i'm glad you mentioned it because it's just it's very topical for me um but you know I, I think so much about video as a prospecting tool or with our clients and building deeper relationships there and it's new for my team and so our our adoption levels like a lot of companies are, are various right um but I've never thought of it as a tool for me to use with my team. Dude, right? across the entire customer life cycle and across the entire uh, internal, customer, external customer and employee every, life cycle. Yeah. And it's, it's the exact same. It's the, if you look at like a traditional bow tie funnel, acquisition, point of commitments in the middle, growth loop on the other side of repeat, referral, expansion, et cetera. It's the same thing for your employees, learning, growing, 
developing, bringing other awesome people into the company, advocating for your company, et cetera. It's the exact same life cycle. And across both life cycles, I don't want this to go on too long, so I'll button it up. Uh, <laughs> across both of those entire life cycles, you're clicking send or machines are shooting out messages on your behalf. And every one of those is an opportunity. You don't need video in all of those touches, but every one of them is an opportunity to add a little bit more clarity, to add a little bit more personality, to add a little bit more sincerity. Um, so I would encourage you as you're clicking send today and over the next several days, and as you look at some of the, you know, if you're using something like a sales loft or an outreach or whatever, and like these machines are shooting out messages on behalf of your reps, it's like, would this be, would this message be more effective if, if it was, kind of more of an in-person moment than this kind of intellectual exercise of decoding these words and sentences and paragraphs you wrote. Those, Separate yeah. conversation. Yeah, no, <laughs> big one, but big one, but amazing, amazing. It's huge and inspire. And I think for anybody listening, like, I don't know or remember where I talked about this. Maybe Ethan, we talked about it before. Um, but I, it's, it's this idea that like every single piece of outreach, whether it's a phone call, an email, I look at these all as messages. They are. And so touch points, whatever word you want to use. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like they, at the same, at the same time, like essentially it's the same thing that people do with marketing, right? Like you take your idea, you know, people aren't, aren't connecting. People are missing the opportunities. They could use video, all of that. Right. And you say it in a five second video, you then say it in a written email, you then say it in an audio message. You're trying to convey the same message, but the medium of delivery, it, it is irrelevant almost. It depends on how the person perceives and receives information in a way that they understand and then can then do something with it, right? So it doesn't matter if it's not a video, or, but like to actually drive success in any rate or even get someone to respond or even see what you're doing, you're gonna just try to shoot some shots, right? Like try an audio message, try a video, try an email, try a phone call, right? Like try any, try a DM, try Instagram, try Facebook, try tweeting at someone, right? Like there's literally infinite ways to like build a sequence of touch points that you can use to build a relationship and trust with people, right? So um, I think like just being conscious of the fact that like people can use anything and it, it like get get out of it like because for me it's like shifting the the mindset of it's not just phone call email social touch like drop that shit like it's messages and then the medium is what differs right like your core message across 30 different channels is hopefully going to end up the same place like you're going to get the customer to understand the problem that you solve so yeah that that's right I, I feel like we i feel like we're gonna have to we're gonna have to like pause and like think about kind of like round two and wave two because these are kevin and i all, like always when we get to these points we're like ah oh, crap i got i had like three more questions a lot more <laughs> a lot more yeah, well I'll, t I'll tell you what this has been a joy and a privilege i love this conversation i appreciate both of you very much i'd happy to do it again anytime that makes sense for you all oh amen i pre we appreciate you um so ethan where can people go to connect with you, learn more about what you're doing? Um, and uh, yeah, just like stay in touch with you. Cool. Uh, obviously, LinkedIn's a good place. Ethan Butte, B-E-U-T-E. -E. You can email me directly, Ethan, E-T-H-A-N, at bombbomb.com. I'm Ethan Butte on basically every social network, and we are bombbomb on basically every social network. Bombbomb.com, EthanButte.com. I don't publish my own web, uh, blog very often, but 
that's there too. Ethan Butte, bomb bomb. We're everywhere. Nice. Love it. Appreciate you, my man. Thanks for listening to Addicted to Growth. If you learned something new, don't be shy. Let people know. The best way to learn a new skill is to practice. Day in and day out. Go execute something you just learned this week with your community. Until next time.